Thank you, Dan and choir instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. Today we finish our sermon series from the Gospel of John, turn to the last chapter of John, 13-week series. We began months ago, and now we come to completion at the end of the story following the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. John chapter 21. Still trying to comprehend both the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus' followers must surely be in shock from all that they had experienced. Their king had been humiliated between two thieves, but in the end, he proved himself to be the cosmic Christ of the resurrection. Verse 1, manifested again. Look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. He begins this last chapter with the words, after these things. That is a sign that we are to read chapter 21 through the lens of chapter 20. Chapter 20 is the passage of the resurrection when Mary from Magdala is going to the tomb with the spices and finds the tomb empty and runs and tells the apostles and they come back and they see and they believe. After these things, following the cosmic resurrection of Jesus. Also in chapter 20, we have those episodes where he appears to the apostles as first Thomas is absent and says, I don't believe you guys. I, I don't believe he has shown up. Unless I see and touch the scars, I will not believe. And a week later, Jesus appears again to the disciples, and Thomas makes that proclamation, my Lord and my God. So there in verse 1, manifested again. After these things, the resurrection, and again, meaning this is the third appearance of the resurrected Jesus to his disciples. Well, verses 2 and 3, gone fishing, gone fishing. Look at 2 and 3. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. John now introduces us to the seven disciples that decide to go fishing. Now, for John, seven is a symbolic number. We see it again in his apocalypse, Revelation. And so we have this perfect set, this complete set of disciples, and this is the third appearance we learn of Jesus to the disciples. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that of the seven, the first name on the list is that of Simon Peter, the leader of the apostles. Now, often in John's gospel, he bears both names, Simon Peter. And so, again in this list, he bears both names. And then we have the name Thomas. Thomas has just played that fantastic role of doubting and then proclaiming my Lord and my God using the name for Jesus that was preserved for Yahweh himself. 
my Lord and my God. And here we have both his Aramaic and his Greek name, Thomas and Didymus. And so we see Thomas here again in this gospel. And then we have Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee. Now you may be saying, now wait a minute, I've got the 12 names memorized and I don't have Nathaniel on that list. Turn back to chapter 1, will, will, will you? John chapter 1, we've already met Nathaniel. He is not one of the 12. He is a follower of Jesus in a broader sense. He is a disciple. He's not one of the 12. But earlier we have already met him, chapter 1 and verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, kind of smart aleck here, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's tiny. Nothing of significance. What are you talking about the Messiah coming out of? It just couldn't happen from Nazareth. Well, Philip said to him, you come and see. If you don't believe we found Moses' man, the Messiah, out of Nazareth, you come and see. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite with a pure heart. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael said, Hey, how do you know me? How do you know anything about me, Jesus? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, I saw where you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathaniel answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now back to chapter 21. So isn't it fitting that we had met Nathaniel in our very first chapter, and now we meet Nathaniel again in our last chapter? Nathaniel could realize that Jesus knew everything there was to know about him, so he's not one of the 12, but here he is again, making an appearance across the stage of the Gospel of John. And then the next on the list, notice the sons of Zebedee. Now, interestingly enough, in this fourth Gospel, they are never mentioned by name. Now, that should strike us as readers as very unusual because, you know, Jesus had his special three who came at those intimate moments, and it was Peter, James, and John. Of the 12, there were the three, the inner circle, and they're not even mentioned by name in this gospel. Here, sons of Zebedee. Yet another proof that one of these sons of Zebedee is our author. He leaves himself nameless. And the fact that James has already been martyred, killed by the time this gospel is penned tells us that it is John who writes our gospel nameless yet again as he continues to be one of the sons of Zebedee. And then Two others of his disciples, maybe they're nameless so we can put our names in there or any name we'd like. Just two more. They're not called by name. The perfect number, seven of the disciples. And notice what they decide to do. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Suddenly, Simon Peter announces, I'm going back to fish. 
Now, a lot of people see this as they're through with the kingdom of God, they're returning to their old vocation, and I don't think we should see it that way. They do appear to be purposeless. They don't know the next move they need to make as the founders of the church. They've been told to go to Galilee and wait until they see Jesus. Let's look at it this way. Though Jesus be raised from the dead, a man still has to eat. So they're just going to catch some fish. So they will have a means to support their families. So they decide to go fishing. They've gone to Galilee like the angel declared in Mark 16. Now notice they are fishing at night. That night they caught nothing. Now it is true that fish bite best at night. So yes, the fishing is better at night. But throughout this gospel, the call has been to leave the night, to come to the day, to forsake the darkness, to walk as a child of the light. And maybe John is telling us they need another manifestation of the Messiah so that they'll be able to walk into the light. Well, verses 4 and 6, Jesus on the beach. Look at verse 4. Now, when day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Notice, and, and Jesus therefore said to them, children... You don't have any fish, do you? And they answered to him, no. And he said to them, cast a net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will catch, find a catch. And they, therefore, they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Remember, Mary of Magdala had not recognized him, but thought in his resurrected state, his body appeared somewhat different. She thought he was the gardener. Was it too early in the morning to see more than just a silhouette of their Savior? Had they been providentially prevented like the disciples on the road to Emmaus so they could not recognize the resurrected Christ? Jesus calls them out. You don't have any fish, do you? It's asking the Greek language in such a way as you have an expectation of a no answer. So it translates something like this. You hadn't caught a thing, have you? Your translation may say children. It's, it's probably better like guys in American or lads in British. You, you lads haven't caught anything. You guys don't have any fish, do you? And notice, they answer him as expected. No, fished all night and have nothing to show for it. It reminds us of a story in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, where we learn that Jesus, the creator of the cosmos, even knows where all the fish reside. Cast it on the starboard side. Put your net on the right-hand side. And there was a catch beyond all expectation. Verse 7, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. The disciple, therefore, who Jesus loved, now, one of the sons of Zebedee is continually referred to as the beloved disciple, or the disciple who Jesus loved, and that's John, our author. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Who else knows where the fish are? And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. 
Our author is the first one to identify the shadowy silhouette on the seashore with a great proclamation. It's who we've been waiting for. We were told to come. We'd find him here. It is the Lord. Because of the miraculous catch of fish, John has an aha moment. Now, Peter, always a man of action, jumps into the sea. Now, he'd been stripped down for the day's duties and out of respect of Jesus. He puts on some clothes, his outer garment, and he jumps into the sea. He cannot wait for the boat to get there. Forget the fish. I want to see my Savior. Remember, he has denied Jesus three times. It is Luke's gospel that gives us that powerful scene where after the third denial and the crowing of the cock, that Jesus turns and he looks there at Peter, Luke tells us, and Peter begins to weep. The last time he had looked at the eyes of Jesus, Jesus had the eyes of hurt. You've denied me like I said you would, Peter. So Peter wants to look in Jesus' eyes again. He jumps into the sea and he begins to swim. Both the actions of Peter and that of John are indicative of what we've come to know about them. The beloved disciple John is a man of quick insight and Peter one of quick action. Well, verses 8 through 11, the charcoal fire. Look at verse 8 through 11. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire. Do you remember another charcoal fire in this gospel? When you're reading, I think you're supposed to hit that word and go, oh, yeah. Another charcoal fire already laid, and the fish placed on it, and the bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, the length of Peter's swim was 100 yards, which is really not that difficult for even the average swimmer. And so whether he swims to the shore or the other disciples sail to the shore, they get there and there's a charcoal fire there and fish are already frying. This Lord who had previously washed his disciples' feet is now preparing a meal for them on the seashore. Turn back to chapter 18, just a few pages in your Bible. I want you to remember the last time you heard about a charcoal fire reading through the Gospel of John. In chapter 18, in verse 18, they are in the courtyard of the high priest. Now the slaves and officers were standing there, having made a, there it is, you see it, charcoal Fire. It's the exact same Greek word. Right there, chapter 18, charcoal fire. What happens at this first charcoal fire? It was cold. They were warming themselves, and Peter was with them, standing and warming himself. 
Notice what happens at this charcoal fire, verse 21. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them, Jesus says. Behold, these know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing by gave Jesus a blow saying, Is that the way you answer a high priest? Now look at verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And they said therefore to him, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. So it's the same word, charcoal fire, but something very different happens at this second charcoal fire than what happened at the first. At the first charcoal fire, Peter denies for the third time, I do not even know him. And yet at this charcoal fire, he's going to say to Jesus three times, Lord, I love you. The first charcoal fire, three times, I don't know you. This charcoal fire, three times, I love you. The first charcoal fire had been started by the enemies of our Lord. The second charcoal fire had been started by the resurrected Jesus himself. John wants you to see that both things happen around the charcoal fire. The thrice denial and the triple affirmation. At the very place of his failure, the charcoal fire, Peter finds at last restoration with our Lord. Now, the fish are already frying, but Jesus tells them to bring a few more, and they catch 153. Now, a lot of people have tried to come up with what the number 153 means. I'll tell you what it means. You never forget your biggest catch. That's what it means. It's, it's as simple as that. You could tell me right now how much the biggest fish you ever caught weighed. They remembered this is the biggest catch. And besides, they have to divvy them up amongst the seven. You got to have the exact number. It probably doesn't mean any more than that. And that John has a, a great eye for detail because he just told you that Peter had to swim 100 yards. He doesn't miss a thing. Verses 12 through 14 a third time. Look at, look at these verses. 12, back to chapter 21, 12 through 14. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it is the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, it might seem like an odd comment that they knew what was the Lord and no one said it was the Lord. But remember, his resurrected body was a bit different for Mary did not recognize him. And the disciples on the road to Emmaus did not recognize him. But John wants us to know that this is not the first or the second but the third time that the disciples see him. Then verses 15 through 17, restoration. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my lambs. He said to him a, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. 
And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Now you remember back in John 13, Jesus begins to say to his disciples, I'm about to go to a place, and as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I'm about to go, you cannot come. And Simon Peter says something along these lines, I don't care what the other disciples do, I will lay down my life for you, Lord. You can count on old Simon, I'll be by your side, come what may. And that's when Jesus said, really, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Yes, Peter had been so sure of himself. And now we interpret this present passage in light of Peter's triple denial of the Lord. Now, Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? Is he asking him, do you love me more than these men love me? Do you love me more than you love these men? Do you love me more than you love these things, the fishing business? What's he asking him? I think he's asking him, do you love me more than these men love me? Remember, you told me no matter how they fell away that you would be by my side. Are you still sure that you love me more than everyone else? In light of all that has happened, Peter... Do you still think that your devotion to me exceeds the devotion of others? Peter, now that you know I'm not going into Jerusalem to set up a kingdom, now that you know I'm Isaiah's suffering servant, I'm going to be crucified and resurrected, now that you understand what it means to be Messiah, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter knew that the Lord knew about his love. Verse 17, notice, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Why'd that grieve Peter? Because it hits him why Jesus is asking him three times. He remembered that look of Jesus, that look of the Lord when he denied him. He realizes that moment when Jesus asked two times, it just seemed to be a troublesome matter. But when he asked a third time, Peter was grieved because he knew the Lord was reminding him. Just like you denied me three times, Peter, I'm going to give you three times to make it better. A proclamation of your love for every time you said you don't even know me. I want you to notice what ministry is about. It's the words tend, feed, shepherd. It's not pastor or priest or a title or a noun. It's if you love me, then be an under-shepherd to my flock. And then verses 18 through 19, follow me. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. 
Peter, who had been so sure before, who had denied his Lord, would indeed, following the sight of the resurrected Lord, go to his grave for this good news gospel. Peter, listen to this, you will stretch out your hands. That's an idiom. You'll be crucified. Notice what he says. He says that signifying what kind of death you'll have. You will stretch out your hands. When you're a young man, you go where you want to go. But when you're old, you will be crucified. In fact, the reality is by the time John writes this, Peter has already been crucified. He's signifying the kind of death by which he would, he would die. Crucified in Rome, most likely under Emperor Nero, Clement of Rome, an ancient writer, tells us about Peter's martyrdom. And Tertullian, another ancient writer, says that Peter was bound to the cross and someone else carried him where he did not want to go, just as Jesus had said he would. Then notice that language of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 22. Follow me. Follow me, verse 19, follow me. He'd come to the seashore before and the fishermen had said they'd drop their nets and they would follow him. But now following Jesus meant something altogether different to Simon Peter. Then Peter asked, verses 20 through 23, what about this man? Now, this gospel has had a lot to say about John and Peter, and John is our author, so we shouldn't be surprised that we end up with another word about John. Well, if I'm going to be crucified, if I, they're going to carry me where I don't want to go. What's going to happen to my friend John over here? And Jesus says, Nunya. You know what that means, right? You, know, you can translate Nunya. Nunya business. You're going to be crucified if I want him to live a long time. What is that to you, Nunya? I want you to follow me. And then verse 24 through 25, we know. Now, these last two verses are probably penned by someone other than John. We have a plural pronoun. It's an affirmation of what John has written. This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his witness is true. There's so many other things which Jesus did, which they were written in detail. I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. What a dose of humility for us at the end. Reminder that there's so many other things that Jesus did that should someone write all the books about all that Jesus said and did, the world itself would not contain the books. But these things have been written that you might believe. Peter had warmed himself around the charcoal fire of denial. And today he warms himself around the charcoal fire of restoration. Have you denied him? Denied him with your life, with your words, with your actions, with your relationships? Have you denied him? Do you recognize the silhouette walking along the seashore this morning? Would you join John in proclaiming, it is the Lord? Look closely. I think he's calling for you to jump in too. 
He's got a fire ready for you. Would you be willing this morning to swim to God's grace? Let us pray. Oh, God, we've denied him every bit as much as Peter has. Perhaps he looks us in the eye today and says, do you love me? If you do, take care of my church. Do you love me? Tend to my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And though it won't be an easy journey, he calls us again too today to follow him. For if we suffer with him, likewise we are glorified with him. Oh God, perhaps there's someone here this morning who by life has denied their Lord. Or perhaps there's someone who needs to jump into the sea of God's grace and swim to the silhouette on the seashore fall down and worship him and call him Lord and Savior. Maybe there are others who need to join us in tending to the sheep and feeding the sheep here at First Baptist Church. However you would call us, O God, may we be responsive to your call. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.